Hi, this is Becky Pitts, host of the Becky Pitts Morning Show. This is Don Shields, host of the Don Shields Show. This is Joe Brantley, host of the Joe Brantley Show. This is Rob Pacey, voice of PBL Athletics. This is Dan Gee. And you're listening to the Jay and Kale Show. Presented by 104.9 WPXN Paxton Rantoul. And welcome back to the Jay and Kale Show, presented by 104.9 WPXN Paxton Rantoul. Uh, Jay, we are now into, I think, day 677 with no sports, which rightfully so with the pandemic going on. Uh, I'm just getting, you know, looking for stuff to do now, essentially, as a, as a sports reporter at a, at a radio station. It gets, it gets kind of bare. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine for somebody who's, you know, job and occupation revolves around the sports world. I know, obviously, I'm blessed enough to have you let me come on here and talk about it as more of a hobby, but... I can only imagine for, for somebody who, uh, you know, uh, like you said, uh, lives and dies by it. And, and I'm with you. I really miss the sports thing, too. But like you said, all uh, measures that have been taken, it seems like, are appropriate to protect that part of the population that really needs that right now. And, uh, you know, we sometimes forget, you know, we got to look at the positive stuff. There's already some lights that are starting to you know, pop up at the end of the tunnel here. We're starting to find some medicines that might treat some of this and some some teams that are finding some antibodies that might help us get some antiviral meds made here in the next hour, many months. So hopefully our sports will be back sooner than later. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just one of those things. We've talked about it at nauseum. We're going to try to avoid talking about it today, even though it's super hard. But, you know, it's just it's got to run its course. We got to get the American people better before we can really do anything else. You know, uh, before we can get back to watching sports, even though we know when sports come back, it's going to be a great escape. and It's going to feel like a brand new day, a whole rejuvenation period, essentially. But, Jay, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, number one, we're going to have a guest a little later on. We'll wait to intro him until um, he gets uh, or is able to join us. Uh, pretty uh, high-profile guy. I'm not going to say much more than that. Uh, but the MLB today, Jay, we got some big news. Uh, left-hander, flamethrower, one of the best pitchers, I think, that's out around right now. And I don't think you'll argue with me on that. Chris Sales having Tommy John surgery. He's done for the year. It's kind of crazy to hear that about Chris Sale. Obviously, um, it seems like everything that's happening right now is uh, pointing towards uh, probably opening day getting pushed back even more. So with that being said, I think it's probably a good decision on his part. I mean, as far as the, you know, possibly giving him a little bit more of a longer career. um, Obviously, this is something you can't really pitch through or anything like that. Sounds like it could have possibly happened regardless of the situation we were in, but you could just kind of tell as of late that this guy wasn't who he normally is, if that makes sense. I mean, he's always had electric stuff, and he's been a good pitcher, but um, I know, like you had sent uh, text message-wise to me, we talked a little bit about it. He just kind of hasn't been the same guy he came into the league as when he, uh, you know, dominated. We're, you know, we're looking at a guy who usually has upwards of 10, 11, 12 strikeouts a game, kind of fell off a little bit last year, and and, you know, from a big-time baseball fan standpoint like yourself and me, you just kind of wondered if something uh, bigger was going on there. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up some of his stuff. I heard something the other day that was pretty interesting. 
if you looked at Chris Sale's velocity in 2018 and compared it to 2019, he lost almost six miles an hour off his fastball. That usually doesn't happen, even with age, really, if you think about it. That doesn't happen unless there's an underlying issue going on, you know, uh, such as an injury. Right, exactly. And, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, thrown from the left side, kind of dependent on that electric fastball and that kind of unorthodox delivery and arm slot that he has. And, uh, you know, when a guy like that doesn't have his fastball at the typical 94 to 96 mile an hour range, followed up by that exploding slider, it just, uh, it's crazy. But coming from a guy who, who played a very short time, just that few miles an hour, you know, when you're normally facing a guy that's throwing 96, if he's down to 92, 91, I mean, it, it could turn into a beach ball. And it kind of seems like that's what happened for opposing hitters when he stepped on the hill. Absolutely. His uh, wins above replacement. Now, Jay, anybody that's listened to this, this is the episode number 13. Uh, anybody that listens to this knows that Jay is kind of the uh, the glue guy. I titled one of the episodes like this. If you can find that episode, go back, listen to that. That was a good one. Jay's the glue guy. I'm the stats guy. And guess what I got pulled up right in front of me from baseball reference? Yeah, Chris. Lots of good stats, I'm sure. Oh yeah, Chris Sale stats. Baseball reference is by far one of my favorite things to look at, and I've been looking at it quite a bit lately. I looked at stats from Robin Yount last night. He was uh, big with the Brewers back in the '70s. He's from Danville, Illinois, a Hall of Famer. Danville, Illinois. How could we forget part of the Brew Crew? Obviously, we're not big fans of the Brew Crew, but anybody from around the area that's had any professional sports experience, you got to give them a shout out for sure. Absolutely. So Chris Sale's stats from 2019, his wins above replacement was at 2.4, which his career is at 45.3. He finished with a 6-11 and record. He, uh, com- in 25 complete or 25 games, 25 starts, uh, let's see, no, in 147.1 inning pitched, he had 218 strikeouts, and his whip or his walks hits per innings pitched was at 1.086. First career, it's at 1.035. Obviously, you want that number to be, you know, fairly low. Uh, be, that's just, you know, how many walks and hits you give up during innings pitch. It's one of my favorite stats when it comes to pitchers. But one thing I'm really concerned about with Chris Sale is his ERA absolutely skyrocketed last year. His average ERA or his ERA average, earned run average, if I could speak, I'm sorry, uh, for his career is at 3.03. Last year is at 4.40. Yeah, and I mean, that big spike in ERA just kind of tells the story in itself right there. Uh, Like we kind of have alluded to here in the uh, prior conversations, this is a guy who usually dominates hitters. When you uh, see the name Chris Sale on the card and or on the TV when it comes to pitching matchups, it's almost like your expectation is a gem, you know. And uh, to see this guy kind of struggle a little bit and and the stats kind of back up, his struggles uh, kind of putting everything uh, into perspective about like, like we, what we talked about with him having Tommy John and, and the whole Tommy John decision just kind of validates some of those uh, question marks that we had had with what was really wrong. Obviously, we knew he'd been kind of hit with the injury bug a little bit, just nothing that we knew would be this serious. Chris Sale also battled the flu in February, um, and he, he's had a rough go here this this winter. We talked about this earlier, and obviously, I, I I feel that Sale should have had that surgery on his uh, elbow, Tommy John surgery, back in the off season. So that way, he could have gotten healthy. Um, 
or for maybe a later start uh, in the year. But um, it just hopefully it runs its course because Chris Sale's fun to watch when he's on. You know, he's, I've always compared him to the left-handed Greg Maddox, the way he can paint the corners. Absolutely, and that heavy movement that he has on his fastball that tails away from righties and in on lefties. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. Obviously, he when he's on, he's a tough matchup for anybody, but as a left-handed hitter, I wouldn't want to come anywhere near facing a guy like that. I mean, that would be an absolute nightmare. You said hitter, and I'm glad you said that word. That's a great transition right there uh, into the NFL. So once again, Chris Sale done for the year. That's pretty much the biggest news out of the MLB today. Uh, Chris, Chris, or excuse me, the Bears, the Chicago Bears, have signed Robert Quinn. And I don't know if a lot of people know who he is or what he's about, but they released Leonard Floyd, the Chicago Bears did. And we were absolutely mind-boggled as to why you would release a first-round draft pick and try not to get try to in no attempt to get something out of him. I'm okay with how how the Bears handled that in signing Robert Quinn, defensive end out of uh, te- out of Dallas. Yeah, that's a big, big name uh, in the defensive world, obviously in the NFL. I mean, this is a guy who uh, if I'm not mistaken, last year had 11 sacks, I think, 11 and a half sacks. And I'm going to add something real quick before you keep going. Yeah. Those 11 and a half sacks, he had two up until week 10. Right. I mean, he's a guy who kind of amped it up. And I know he was up there in the tackles for loss and, and, and you know, QB hurries or rushes, as they call them. Uh, and, you know, to have a guy like him kind of compliment a Khalil Mack, take some pressure off of Khalil Mack, we kind of saw – Max struggle a little bit this year with some injuries on the inside of that Bears defensive line. Obviously kind of attracted a lot more attention to the outside, and Khalil Mack kind of slowed him down a little bit, I thought. And uh, hopefully a signing like this with uh, a healthy Akeem Hicks, uh, you know, this Bears defensive line could be the real deal. This offensive line is is nutty. They can run a three-man a three front and be fine, I think, because like you just said, Akeem Hicks went down – there goes our run stopper. And not only that, you have to figure out, okay, if you're an opposing offense when you're offensive line coach, who am I going to double team? Am I going to double team Mack and let him get to my quarterback? Or am I going to double team Hicks, who's going to do the same thing? And that was such a heavy loss for the Bears and why that that defense couldn't be, which was still very effective, but couldn't be as good as they were in year the year before. Absolutely. And and just like you said, I mean, now offensive uh, line coaches and, and, you know, head coaches, any type of guy who's involved with offensive schemes, it's just going to really have to game plan around who you're going to try to focus on. And and obviously we have multiple weapons that are going to be able to step up and hopefully stop that that front of the offensive line, any type of holes for running backs and essentially get pressure on that quarterback, because as we've seen, uh, I'd like to say we have probably an above average secondary that, you know, likes to take the ball away i mean we led the league in takeaways two years ago obviously we slowed down a little bit this year with some injuries on the defensive side of the ball but i'm thinking if we get everybody back healthy you know this is a defense that you really don't want to waste if that makes sense you know these guys are on the field the majority of the time they're taking the ball away they're getting stops and you know i i just really hope that the offensive side of the football here in chicago can really figure things out and you know we can work towards a division title and then hopefully in a Super Bowl, you know? Absolutely. And that's one thing that, you know, that I, I'm really – when I think of Chicago Bears football, I think of defense. 
Look at 85. I mean, in 85, the Bears won the Super Bowl off of, I'm, I'll say it, very subpar, very average quarterback play in Jim McMahon. And I, I'm not going to be the one that sugarcoats it. I don't think Jim McMahon was was by any means nothing above average. Um, and that defense, though, that uh, you couldn't stop that defense. So you had Robert Quinn with Khalil Mack, Akeem Harris. You moved back. Um Akeem Hicks, you move back, you have Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan to go clean up any of the runs. And then Eddie Jackson, last year, you're talking about takeaways and not having as many. Coaches and offensive schemers were not throwing to Eddie Jackson's side of the field. They're telling quarterbacks, hey, Eddie Jackson's in the vicinity of where you're wanting to throw, throw it the opposite way. Because I don't think his side of the field was targeted more than, uh, I will say, uh, what, probably 85 times all season. And that was a huge difference, but I like Ha Ha Clinton Dix and Eddie Jackson in that backfield. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. Those two guys at the uh, safety position, you know, obviously they kind of rotate a little bit. One guy sometimes plays up or they might shade over a good receiver. I mean, those are two really, really good ball hawks. And I mean, those are guys that can also come up and make plays. You know, they're physical. They like to tackle and, and get in people's mugs. And, and it's just a really, really good thing to have two good or I would say better than average safeties to kind of comment uh what I want to say complement the the defensive backplay that we have I mean I think Kyle Fuller obviously has proved himself to be a if not a lockdown corner somebody who you know I feel like he takes on the biggest assignment every week right for you know lining up against or across from the guy who's the best and and I mean, really, the more and more I talk about and go to the different parts of this Bears defense, you know, the more I get excited. If we can stay healthy, I really, really think we have a chance to make some noise. So, absolutely. And I'm just, I don't know. Let's move over to the offensive side of the ball. We know what the defense is going to do. And I really think that, uh, oh, man, why am I blanking? Uh, the defensive coordinator, Chuck Chuck Pagano, is mm-hmm. is going to really make uh, a difference here. Now, he's not obviously a replacement to Vic Fangio. Glad that Vic Fangio got a chance in Denver. That They got a mess. I don't know if you've seen any of that. We'll get into that in a second if we got time. But um, offensive side of the ball, they signed quarterback Nick Foles, or they traded our one of our only picks in the draft for this year, fourth-round compensatory pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars for that loaded contract that Nick Foles signed, that four-year $88 million deal, which I do believe Ryan Pace restructured, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think I saw the same thing as far as the deal getting kind of revamped a little bit. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mind the uh, – I don't mind the the move there by Ryan Pace. Obviously, as we talked about, if in, in a perfect world we would have liked to, you know, have had some other guys. I think, but yes, any type of, you know, even if he's not at the top of the the league or or the game or whatever you want to call it, any type of competition that might draw something out of Mitch that we haven't seen yet, you know, this might amp it up. I mean, this is a guy who essentially stepped in for Carson Wentz in the biggest game of the year. And won a Super Bowl. So, I mean, I really feel like there's, you know, a little bit of a factor there. This man has kind of been put in some tough spots already. And and I really think that if not, he doesn't take Mitch's job. I at least think he will help immensely. You know, I'm not saying he's an all-pro game-changer type of personality that we get, but He's somebody who's been around a little bit, and, and I really don't think it'll be tough for him to pick up on the system that he's kind of being thrown into. I, 
I think it's honestly a good sign. I really do. So speaking of Nick Foles, this is the I'm okay with the signing for one reason. Number one, it, it, it's going to make Mitch play better or he's going to get replaced. Nick Foles, you're absolutely right, won a Super Bowl. I mean, that takes skill. Not only that, he beat a really good Patriots team, and they were down by, what, two touchdowns in that game, and they came mm-hmm. back and won, executed the Philly special. That, that that play will always live no matter what, at least through you and I's lifetime, just for the fact that it was a very well-executed and very well-designed play, and then the story behind it, et cetera. But you look at, you look at Nick Foles' career and Matt Nagy specifically. I've got – Nick Foles pulled up on pro football reference. He was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles in 2012. Okay, well, Matt Nagy was on that staff and helped the Eagles draft Nick Foles. You skip ahead to 2016. Who's in in, uh, Kansas City at that time? Well, you look at it. Nick Foles is brought in to back up Alex Smith. Matt Nagy was calling plays for Andy Reid when they were struggling in that season. Alex Smith and Matt Nagy had a great relationship. Nick Foles know the, knows the system that Matt Nagy runs. He doesn't have to teach it. That's that's why I'm kind of leaning on the side. Well, okay, as I sit down and I research this, his career stats may not be that great, but the fact that he knows what Matt Nagy wants to run and already it likes just makes it that much more simple. Yeah, absolutely. That's huge. And, I mean, let's be honest. With some of the playmakers that we have, I mean, obviously, in a Tariq Cohen, we got some good guys at receiver. I mean, nothing crazy, but we have solid people at receiver. We get a guy in like Jimmy Graham, who we talked about is a little older, you know, probably at the tail end of his career, but not a, a terrible uh, pass catcher uh, at a tight end position. I mean, Nick Foles is a guy with a pretty good arm. And like you said, right. with Matt Nagy having a lot of, you know, I feel like Matt Nagy's offense is designed to be more of a pass oriented or an aerial attack, if that makes yes. sense. If yes. It can be, you know. And I feel like Foles has that opportunity to really come in and, like you said, put pressure on Trubisky to either perform or, you know, I'm sorry, step aside, take a seat. Get out of time. Yeah, I mean, what are you doing? Figure it out, man. If this doesn't put the if this doesn't put the choke collar around Mitch's neck and see that his leash is getting shorter and shorter, I don't know what's going to do that. You can tell specifically, going back to your earlier comment in that statement, you can tell specifically that Matt Nagy wants to run an aerial attack because what he do last year, he tried to make Mitch a pocket passer. Mitch is not a pocket passer. I, Jay, I don't think that's something you can teach at this level, no matter if Trubisky's 20 or 22. He's been using his legs every step of his career, if that makes sense. I don't think you can turn Mitchell Trubisky – from a guy who who runs away and evades and flees when the pocket collapses, a guy who's not going to go through his protection or uh, progressions, look for a check down when his first read's not there. We talked about that on the last episode. When Nick Foles is there, he will go through those protect uh, progressions. He's willing to get hit, but he knows where to go with the ball because he knows what plays being ran. I'm with you, and uh, like you said, everything that you've talked about with Nick Foles and Matt Nagy's history, I mean. If that doesn't paint a little bit of a picture of Nagy's faith in that guy, then I don't know what's going to. Because, you know, as we talked about with Mitch getting put in that pocket passer role last year, I mean, it goes all the way back to the comment of uh, not being able to stand or, uh, stand on the beach and throw the ball in the ocean. I mean, Absolutely. It was, it was bad. So I've got Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky's 2000, or, well, let's go career, um, career stats. 
because they played about relatively the same amount of games in the same amount of time, give or take. So let's see. Nick Foles has 11 more games on Trubisky, and these stats might kind of kind of surprise you. So Nick Foles' career, he's played 58 games. He's averaged, let's see, 32. He's played inconsistently. Um, his completion percentage is at 61.9 for his career. He's thrown for 11,901 yards on an average of seven yards per completion for 71 touchdowns, 35 interceptions. You move over to Mitch, 41 games. And he's played a little, about 20 more, give or take. I'm not good at math. Um, he's played 41 games. He's thrown for 8,500 yards. And on an average of 6.1 yards per attempt and 48 touchdowns. So their stats are there. But like you said, we have the playmakers in Allen Robinson. David Montgomery can catch the ball out of the backfield. Jimmy Graham, if he can catch passes, great. Tariq Cohen, specialty guy. I just, I don't know how, how this is going to go. How many did he throw? Mitch has 29 in his career. Foles has 35. In 58 so, games. So Foles is 71 to 35? Yes. And Trubisky is 40 what? 40 to f- 29. 40 touchdowns to 29 picks? Yeah, 40 to 29. 41 to 29. Okay, I got you. Yeah, 50, I mean, you're 71. right. They're the uh, same. Yeah, it, it is pretty similar. Um but it's just the know. it's the whole knowledge of the system. Fashioned. I guess I'm just old fashioned in the fact that if if I can pick a guy who's been on a team that's won a Super Bowl and been around a little bit and just you know seen more, been around more professional wise, it's hard to vote against that, you know. And I'm not saying Mitch can't blossom into something, but we are, I'm going to go back to what you said. This is either going to make Mitch, you know, open his eyes and say, "All right, you know, this is real. I got to step it up," or you know, him sitting the bench a few games might make him pick it up as well. You know, you just never know, I guess. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find the terms of the Nick Foles deal. Uh, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Let me just do this. I think it's $21 million. Um, per season, maybe. Let me look, because I'm not 100% sure. I didn't read the full article. I just saw that we had Nick Foles, immediately hated it, read into it just a little bit more, and I was like, well, maybe it's not not as bad as as it would be. Uh, Foles has already restructured his contract with the Bears. A source told Adam Schefter he still has three years and $21 million guaranteed left on the deal. So... Foles has the ability to void the deal after either of the first two years, depending on the upside of his performance. So That'll three years performance based thing. Yeah. Three years, 21 million <laughs> based on performance. So what does that tell you? Confident. You know, what I'm saying? you know what I'm saying? Like, obviously it's hard to have a crystal ball and predict what's happening, but if you're throwing that in the guy's face about, his contract being performance based. Yeah. Um, is he going to be to be under center opening day? Speaking like, of, hey, I want to perform good so I get paid. 
Speaking of under center, why didn't we try to get some offensive line help? I don't know. I was wondering the same thing. I mean, all the good ones are gone. At, we had a rookie at left tackle. I mean, Cody White is not a center or white Kyle hair. Cody Long hurt. You know, they're talking about Kyle Long maybe playing, maybe not. Not looking good either way. Cody uh, Kyle Long officially <laughs> retired. Did he officially retire? I wonder. Yeah. I hadn't seen any uh, light on that. I I was wondering if I missed that. I know he had the big injury hit him. So he he retired. Uh, I want to say maybe a month ago or so. Just maybe a little under a month. Uh, the Jaguars though are going to have to absorb eighteen and a half or eighteen and a half million dollars in dead money in twenty twenty after cutting Blake Bortles. Jaguars now have paid thirty five million in dead money over the past two off seasons. Woof. <laughs> Woof. I mean, how about a guy like Blake Bortles with such a promising, promising start to his career to just absolutely tank? I mean, what happened? <laughs> it's, about, it's about like what Bears fans are dealing with. Mitch Honestly, had a pretty. It's so similar. Like, you feel bad for Jacksonville. You're like, man, here's a guy who they kind of throw all their marbles in one basket. He pans out for like a year and then goes in the tank. Because, you know, remember, there was the whole boat situation with Blake Bortles. They're calling him the best of all time because that one season he had, he got him to the playoffs, and then it's just, yeah, it's been an absolute train wreck ever since. But if you take out, and you can, it's sad how much of a comparison there is between Mitchell Trubisky and Blake Bortles because you can take out Mitch's rookie year minus the John Fox when he got thrown in when who Mike Glennon went down, I think, was who the starter was that year. And then you look at him with the first year of Nagy, they get to the playoffs, they win 12 games, then they go 8-8, eight and eight. Mitch doesn't play for two of them, Chase Daniel gets a few wins in there. It's just been a mess for both sides. It has been an absolute mess, and I mean – like you said, I, I'm really hoping this Foles thing works out. I think there's a little bit of upside either way, whether he plays or not. But, I mean, like I said, I just I just really go back to hoping that the Bears don't waste this offense or this defense, excuse me, if that, if that makes sense. I'm really hoping we can find something out offensively that's going to get us a little bit of a kick. You want something that I can get a J-Rant going here? Oh, God. What if I told you, and this is true, I just want to see what this will do because we need a J-Rant right now. Um, the Bears last season only let up, except for one game, an average of 22.3 points per game. 22 points a game? Yeah. they. Let's, if that's what I'm, I, I heard that on somewhere the other day. But if you look at the Bears last season – the most points they let up in a game, I think, was to either Carson Wentz or Teddy Bridgewater. And that was 38. 38 points was the most we gave up. So we're averaging 22 because of those two 38-point outliers. Yes. Yeah, and this isn't a game. We're not, no one's going to talk about how the defense is on the field for 75% of the, for the, of the game. I know. <laughs> but that's it. So many, I've never seen so many three and outs in my life. Made me sick. Pat O'Donnell's getting a workout. Yeah, we're going to have an all – if Mitchell Trubisky plays quarterback, we'll have an all-pro punter for the next four years. When you, get <laughs> nine, when you get nine punts a game, you better be pretty good, Pat. 
<laughs> well, Pat, Pat's got absolute, absolute leg on him. And I, <laughs> Why don't we give him a chance at quarterback? Why don't we run some fake uh, punts on fourth down and see if Pat can throw the ball in the pocket? <laughs> I mean, he can throw it just as good as Mitch can. There it is. Yeah. There You're right. Is. You win. You win. I had to. There's nothing, there's nothing to talk about. But, yeah, anyway, I like the full signing. The more that I sit here and talk about it, if anything else, like we had talked about right off the get-go, it's going it's gonna to make Mitch have to play better, if, if anything at all. I mean, I understand you don't want to give up on a guy that you just drafted second and then absolutely throw it away. But it's, it's tough. Hopefully things will look up this year. we got something to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited. I just hope everything else can blow over and we can get back to normal. And that's going to be upon us before you know it. It always seems like the off season flies by because we got so much other stuff going on. I hope we get back to that. So, absolutely. And as promised, we're going to go ahead and we're going to bring in our special guest uh, for today, and then we were going to break down the Illini season. Uh, both basketball, maybe a little football as well in there. And we're going to talk about what we got coming up for next year. And as promised, joining us now on the J&KL Show, presented by 104.9 WPXN, we got some Illini royalty. Yeah, I'll say it, some Illini royalty. Isaac Ambrose of the 200 Level Podcast. He's one of the co-hosts with Mike Carpenter, Trevor Valise. Mike Carpenter, Trevor Valise, obviously. Uh, Mike Carpenter, formerly of ESPN-CU, ESPN 93.5. And then Trevor Valise still there, but we are joined now by Mr. Isaac Ambrose of the 200 level. Isaac, what's going on, man? Hey guys, how's it going? It's uh, it's weird. I'm running out of things to do already, and I've only been quarantined my house for a couple of days. So, wish there were some <laughs> sports, you know? Yeah, we should be watching the national tournament right now, but you know, as, as things happen here, we gotta gotta take some some caution with what's going on. Yeah, I know. I, I saw people were getting pretty into simulations online um, on Twitter and everything. P- somebody out there simulating every single March Madness game, and apparently Illinois made the Elite Eight or something. So I guess we have that to hang our hat on. Yeah, I saw one of those simulations. Uh, Jay, I don't know if you saw this, but the Illini matched up with uh, USC, and they mm-hmm. out-rebounded them like 74 to 64 or something. It was something crazy like that. Right, right, right. It makes sense like that. It makes sense here and stuff like that. I know how uh, biased we are about our Big Ten being uh, much better than a Pac-12 matchup. So uh, you'd like to think something like that would be true. Yeah, that's and I think with the man in the middle, I mean, it wouldn't be impossible if we were to finish the season out with uh, Feliz being able to dog those rebounds that he did. It uh, wouldn't be a completely unfathomable feat. But anyway, uh, Mr. Ambrose is here to to help Jay and I uh, get a different voice on Illini basketball. He's going to help us break down the season. And Isaac and Jay, I'm going to start off with this. Uh, Both of you guys just kind of go at it with each other. I'll chime in too. Um, Just watching the season end the way it did, especially uh, after the IO injury, Michigan State, watching him come back and be able to be dominant like he was. And then just seeing the season end uh, was was pretty tough, pretty sad, pretty heartbreaking. But, you know, it's just the way it's got to go. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just shocking, and it's painful to think about, and I'm really glad we got to enjoy this season, and it, it was a journey, man. I was I was looking through Illinois men's basketball Twitter from the beginning of the season until the end of the season, and just 
it was a roller coaster, but it was a fun one and lots of fun moments. And we had some low moments, but it really made the the great moments uh, more fun, I think. And just what I was able to do, especially after coming back from injury, it's just it's magical. It really is. And it just really stinks the way it came to such an abrupt end, because I know we all feel terrible as Illini fans, but. I imagine the guys on the actual team and the coaches and everything and everyone in the program, they just feel a thousand times worse because of all the hard work they've put in. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, like you said, it really is. It's it's almost a tragedy for, like you say, those guys that were not necessarily cheated out of a, a postseason uh, berth or chance to make some noise, but, you know, rightfully so, understand what's going on. You know, you talked about the coaching staff a little bit there. How tough do you think it has to be for a guy who's done the same thing and thought that what he did worked his entire life in Brad Underwood to completely put his pride aside and revamp his entire system defensively to an extent and kind of go out on a limb and to have the success he did and, like you said, see it cut short right before the conference tournament? It does make you sad. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be painful. And, guys, you think about Brad, and he was essentially putting his career on a guy like Kofi Coburn because, like you said, he changed his system up so much, and it it paid off, and it worked, and Kofi ended up changing so much. And it really stinks because I could just – Brad Underwood was about to be in his element, man, in the NCAA tournament. He's had so much success when he's gotten there. And this was just about to be – March, Brad Underwood. And I think we all saw throughout the season he was able to adjust. and He he stopped being so stubborn, which was really nice to see. And I just can't imagine recruiting-wise, too. Think about all the hours these guys put in when when the Illini aren't playing games, traveling all over the place to recruit these kids. And now all of a sudden you can barely have any contact with them. You can't bring them on campus. You can't close the deal right before the signing period for a couple extra guys. And, I mean, luckily – we, we all know that recruiting was going pretty well during the season um, with guys like Adam Miller, Andre Curbelo. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as a coach, they put in hours on hours that, that us Illini fans don't even see. So I just – I can't even ma- imagine what, what Brad's going through right now. Isaac, the, the turning point in the season for me, um, being able to to attend a lot of the games, either as media or just as a fan, there were some games I had to go to as a fan, but I don't know if you'll agree with me on this. The, the Miami loss at home, didn't that, that could have seriously set the tone for the season. When they were down huge, they come back and still were just like inches, inches away from, from winning that ballgame. Um, but I seriously had a, a doubt that that game was going to set the tone for the rest of the season and mental mistakes, sloppy play, or just, just sluggish play, essentially, when this year, as we proved, the, you had to protect home court in Big, Ten, in Big Ten play. Yeah, I mean, I think that game, that game was big because I think this team realized, like, yeah, we're talented. Yeah, Andy Katz and the national media are really all over us, but the national media can say you're good, but if you don't play good, you're not good. So, I mean, Andy Katz predicting us to go to the tournament didn't put us in the tournament automatically. I think these guys really realized, especially in that Miami game, that, you know, we got to play hard. And we're, we are talented, but, you know, it still takes hard work and good teams put in work. And I think this team was definitely a, a – I mean, obviously they were going to make the tournament, but we struggled a little bit early. You know, we had a couple tough losses like Miami and Missouri. But we were playing our best basketball come March, and 
had that seven-game win streak. And even though we lost four in a row, I mean, we lost to four good teams. So we were playing our best basketball towards the end of the season, and, hey, that's what good teams do. That's what, that's what good teams do uh, for the tournament. It doesn't matter who's playing well in December. It matters who's playing well in March. That's exactly right. I always like to tell people that, you know, it goes for any level of basketball. You talk about it in high school, you know, the whole zero and zero record kind of thing. You can go 500 all year, but if you get a chance to make the dance and uh, win a few games and do what you're supposed to do, execute, nobody remembers what your record was in the regular season. They only uh, remember what you did in the postseason. And, and I couldn't agree more with what you talked about, us playing our best basketball at the right time. The four-game skid, I think, had a lot of people nervous. But at the same time, uh, Kale and I, I know we talked about it a lot, and then I'm sure you saw it too, Isaac. It really seemed like that four-game stretch was really when we got into the whole thing of Io being hurt, obviously, at Michigan State, uh, late in the Michigan State game. Then we have guys like Kofi attracting a little more attention. Two early fouls in the first 10 minutes of the game on the bench. Third foul in the first five minutes of the second half. And all of a sudden, you don't have a rim protector. And I feel like once, uh, obviously, as we talk about our alpha and Io coming back and and uh, taking some of that pressure off Kofi, we really kind of started to click. And and everybody really kind of started to play better. I mean, like Keelan and I always joke about, when you got a guy like DeMonte starting to feel it from three, you know something's going right. Yeah, and it's a funny thing for a while when DeMonte wasn't scoring was when Illinois was playing the best. But, yeah, for a guy like DeMonte, um, and I'll get back to kind of what we were just talking about, a guy like DeMonte, that's what he was doing at the end of the season was what you really want him to do um, his senior year. You know, five, six points a game, five, six rebounds, and just stellar defense on the best player. I mean, you can ask – Ask uh, Pat Chambers. I think DeMonte Williams played better defense on Lamar Stevens than anyone all season. Um, and apparently Patino doesn't know who DeMonte Williams is, even though he had a game, game-saving game block at the end of the Minnesota game. But, yeah, for this team, I think that four-game skid, I really think that four-game skid showed that Illinois basketball is back. Illinois basketball is here to stay and compete, but you're not you're not at the top of the Big Ten yet. You know, I think uh, you're going to compete every night with everybody. You're going to get some of those big ones at home, but you're not Michigan State level in the Big Ten yet, if that makes sense. Like, I, I just don't see us as Big Ten champs right now, regular season. We've definitely got some flaws, but we are definitely back, and I think we're going to stay at least the top half of the Big Ten for a while now. I, I'm I'm hung up on the Pat Chambers. <laughs> yeah, I'm hurting there. That made me laugh. I'm sorry, but I no, mean, what you know, did, Lamar went ahead. like two two for thirteen or something like that after scoring yeah. twenty straight, like five or six games. So, uh, Demont, that's the guy you want Demonte to be next year. And really, everybody on this team finished off the season well, so you can't complain. That's something Jay and I talked about. We that was one of the games. Obviously, we were. I know you guys started doing those live reactions. Jay and I were were doing that as well, and that that's something fun to do, by the way. But um, we were talking about that, and we were talking about how much Pat Chambers and, and is annoying and all this other good stuff, and and then you know, Lamar Stevens. Hey, if you can stop Lamar Stevens from scoring twenty points in the game, Penn State will not win a game. And Demonte did that, and that's exactly what happened. It's kind of funny because you know the coaches somehow picked Lamar Stevens over Io on Big Ten yeah. first team, which uh, is absolutely yeah. ridiculous. And when they played head to head, Io coming back from injury took over, won the game. And you guys, this is what really ticks me off. If you you can't tell me that if a coach was asked what five players you don't want to play against in the Big Ten, you can't tell me any of the coaches keep Io out of the top five. 
Look at how many game-winning shots Io hit. Look at how many game-changing plays Io made. Look at the Wisconsin game. I know he hit that big three, but as Brad Underwood said in the Wisconsin game, Io made every single correct play in the second half. Every pass perfect. Every shot perfect. You know, um, didn't really turn the ball over at all. So that's what really frustrates me. Is I think we just had some salty coaches. I think McCaffrey was salty after the Iowa loss. I think. I just think guys were frustrated that Iowa had to close out so many games in the Big Ten. It, it, it's ridiculous. He should have easily been first team. I think this year he was third or fourth best player in the Big Ten. Um, yeah, sorry. A little, little tangent there, but I don't know. That just frustrates me that, that coaches have the tenacity to keep Iowa Sumu best closer in college basketball this year, off first team. Oh, Isaac, you're going to get me worked up saying the name McCaffrey, man. I'll tell you, I know. I need another episode for a McCaffrey talk. <laughs> I can't man, stand his boy. son either. I'm sorry. Oh, Holy cow. Uh, getting into Monte's face. Kale and I joked about that. We're like, uh, if you're going to get in anyone's face, you probably shouldn't pick the kid from the streets of Peoria. But I'm, yeah. you know, whatever. Whatever works. What a way to end the season. What a win. I know. But. So going off of that, if you don't have Kofi Coburn this season, obviously this is only his, I think, third year of organized basketball, and the, you can't teach size. Um, but if you don't have Kofi this year, what do you think? How how would the Illini uh, season go if Kofi was not here? Do you think? I think I think you're on the wrong side of the bubble. Probably. I mean, think about you were a terrible rebounding team last year. This year you're what, like top 10 in rebounding uh, difference or whatever. And just every single time anyone drives into the lane, there's a seven, seven foot man there. So, I mean, it makes everything shooting wise for the other team more difficult. And you don't have to force Georgie to guard seven foot guys or the other guys, the other team's biggest player the whole time. And Georgie, We'll see what happens with him. He's not a pure five. He's not a great shooter, so I don't know if he can really play the four. I think he's got to be a backup uh, five, you know, getting 15 or 20 minutes a game. But, yeah, I think Kofi really – he just changed his whole team completely. And, of course, Brad had to change a lot of stuff. But I really think – I mean, the Purdue game on the road, he was a big man. I think he was like 22 for twenty-two and 15. Yep. You know, I had – a bunch of double doubles and he, he was able to take over a few of those games, any game. I think that Illinois had the size advantage inside Kofi was re- really able to take advantage of, which in the past you wouldn't have been able to take advantage of that. So I, I think without Kofi, you're probably sitting at seven and 17 or 18 wins and you're on the wrong side of the bubble guys. And that's something that, that so I'm sorry, Jay, but that's something that, no, uh, that uh, I was very, very concerned about this year. Obviously, Georgie last year, I felt it was one of the premier big men in the league. He comes in this year, man, did he did he struggle. Does, does Georgie have to bring what he brought last year every night to, for this team to be successful? No. But in, like you're saying, in those, those 15 to 20 minutes a game that he does get, he's got to produce a little more. Everybody goes through slumps. It's all about getting out of it. And in the Iowa game, I felt like he did that very well, um, getting getting out of that slump he saw the ball go through the rim I think he had six or eight points in that game a couple boards and he did he did stop Garza on the perimeter but he's just Garza's a presence down low yeah with with Georgie guys this it was a sophomore slump that's all I can say people can say oh he he was not adjusting well because of the Kofi coming in but Georgie was missing bunnies Georgie was missing shots from six inches away from the rim he was in his head so much and no I don't think Georgie's a bad player but 
think if we can turn Georgie into that substitute five for like a guy like Kofi in the future, Georgie's going to also be going up against the other team's backup center probably. And Georgie has shown us that he can put up 35 points a game on, on weaker competition. Um, so I think that's, that's where Georgie's going to be. He's not going to be that, that dominant, you know, first or second team in the Big Ten, awesome center, like we thought he was maybe going to develop into. That's just not his role. Look at his body type. I mean, he's got great feet and decent touch around the rim, but it, it'll be interesting to see where he develops. I really just think it was a sophomore slump. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, you really pull for a guy like that. You know, all the stuff you hear about him behind the scenes. He's such a good teammate. He pulls for all of his guys. He's always up on the bench. Even when he's not playing well, he keeps a level head about him. And I know that doesn't make a guy a good basketball player, but as a fan, you really do pull for a guy like that. And and uh, you really do hope he can come out of what happened this year. I, I couldn't hit it on the head any more correct. If that guy makes half of the bunnies he missed, we're probably not having this conversation. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that poor guy, you're right. He He couldn't, oh, man, he couldn't get anywhere near where I thought he would be. So so going off of that, obviously there, there's one big looming question. Number one, I don't think Kofi Coburn's going to the draft. I, I really don't. Now, obviously the NBA can develop him. He doesn't have to go to class. He can go work out every day. They can they can place him in a G League team and, and just basically develop him. But I don't think he's got the hands. I think there's stuff down low in the low post that he really has to learn this offseason and maybe extend his range to maybe 14 to 16 feet uh, and try to, try to knock down some of those jumpers as well. Obviously, that's going to be tough. I'd like to see him develop that post game even more because uh, we, I, I mean, he could tear up that post. But moving on to Io, there's no chance that he's coming back. No, yeah, I mean, I would put, I would put the percentage at like one percent or less than one percent. I mean, what, what an unreal way to end the season. So I know Io can say whatever he wanted to say, you know, going into March, like, okay, I'm leaving. We're making the tournament, but. Nobody in their right mind could have dreamed that this is how the season would end. So it's got to be a little bit unsatisfying, you think, in a guy like Io's head. And if I'm Io and I'm looking at the draft boards and scouts are telling me, you know, you, you, still, you still aren't there. We'd like to see you another year in college. Then I'm staying. But, but I, I do think a lot of people think he's going to go late first or mid-second. Um, and if I'm IO, you, you did your job. You got Illinois back to the double buy in the big 10 tournament, even though the tournament didn't happen. But yeah, yeah, I would, I would definitely go if I was IO. you can't blame the kid and look at what a 19 year old was able to do for an entire Illini basketball program in a year. Rebuild I mean, it. this, right. This fan base was dead for almost 10. I mean, the last tournament 2013 wasn't very satisfying either, but what a this for a young kid, a kid who's younger than I, you know, able to transform a program in a year was just it was just unfathomable. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. He pretty much put everybody on his back this year. He he did. He looked at Brad and Illinois Nation and said, "Hey, you guys recruited me for a reason, and uh, I'm going to show you why I belong in the Big Ten. And and he did just that. And I'm with you. If I'm him, I don't see why he doesn't go. Obviously, uh, your ultimate goal as a basketball player, if you're playing every day, you know, from when you pick up a basketball and can walk 
when you're done is you want to say you could have played or can play in the league. And if he, he gets that chance, I don't see how he doesn't take it. So let's go ahead. Obviously, the season didn't end the way that we wanted it to. But moving off of off of this season, you you look ahead for next year. You add Adam Miller. You add Andre Curbelo. You you put you bring back Kofi Coburn, Georgie Demonte, and then you get off of their transfer year. You have Austin Hutcherson and uh, Grandison as well. You got a surplus of wings, not a surplus of big men. You're also lacking in guards, losing losing uh, fleas as well as potentially Io. Yeah, next year is going to be interesting. I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see where Brad plugs and uh, puts guys in and fills the gaps. I mean, obviously, you're not going to replace Iodesumu. Uh You can only hope to to stop the bleeding with Io. Um, he he's hard to replace, guys. And um, but but Adam Miller, man, he's a pure scorer. That's what I love about him. Just watching his highlights and everything, and. Yeah, he's going to have some nights where he probably goes two for 15 and only scores five or six points. But then he's going to have some nights where he can't miss and he's going to score 30, 35. And if you team that up with a guy like Curbelo, I know it's a lot to put on these guys' shoulders, but Curbelo's a pure point guard. And, and that's what Brad's needed. I don't think Illinois really had a pure point guard. I mean, you know, look, look, who was our purest point guard this year? You know, they were just a clump of wings, kind of. And they right. all... They all had their spots. Trent this year became known for defense. I mean, he wasn't known for assisting and scoring. You need that point guard that's going to come in, and obviously you want him to be Cassius Winston, but Curbelo's not going to be Winston right away. But you want that 10, 12 points a game, 8, 9 assists every night, um, just getting guys open. And if you tag a shooter like Miller, and I guess the transfer guys can shoot pretty well too, but if you get oh, a, yeah. pure score, a pure scorer, um, like Miller, and then Curbelo, Curbelo will get him open shots. So I think we're definitely in the tournament next year, and then in a couple of years we could be really dangerous. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I'm eager to see what Brad Underwood does. Obviously, it seems like he has no problem putting his trust in young guys, as you know, it seems like every other coach nowadays. It seems like the level of talent that comes right out of the high school level and into the Division One level is – Unlike anything we've seen, obviously it gets better and better every year. So I feel like we used to have the conversation as Illini Nation or just, you know, being around the Big Ten conference basketball-wise in general, can the freshmen handle playing in the Big Ten? Uh, are we going to allow them to do some of these things like have bigger roles in uh, guys like Andre Corbello and, and Miller? Are we going to let freshmen step right in? Are they going to be able to do that? And I really like our recruiting class, I think. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, I think those guys have done so much work uh, away from the scenes uh, that you see every day, and they've sat at kitchen tables and they've talked to parents and they've convinced people that obviously, uh, if you're going to come to Illini, or if you're going to come play for the Illini, we uh, we trust you, and, and we're not going to we wouldn't be here if we didn't think you could handle it. So uh, I'm with you. I'm excited for guys like Miller and uh, Curbelo and, and those transfers as well. I. I really uh, have faith in that staff that they'll plug them right in, and and like he did this year, uh, Underwood will adapt and and run things that'll uh, put those guys in the best position to succeed, and hopefully get us back to the dance yet again. So, I really do think um, that once again, Isaac Ambrose of the two hundred level. I really do think that uh, with Curbelo, uh, there's going to be a lot more. 
throw it up there and let Kofi go get it style of play. A little more lob action with a guy like Corbello who just has a natural feel uh, of, of passing, knowing where guys are anticipating. And you add Adam Miller, if he can knock down, you compare him with Griffin out there as well on the wings. If Griffin can still knock him down like he was you know, halfway through the Big Ten season, kind of trailed off, still hit a lot of big shots. That team next year is going to be absolutely dangerous. With or without Io, you add Io to that trio. I don't know how you would stop it. Yeah, that'd be an amazing combo, guys. I mean, I can't even can't even wrap my head around and a junior Io Sumu. Um, so much expectations, though. That would be a lot of pressure for those guys. Um, you get Arizona at home uh, pretty early in the season, which would be fun. And just to just to see what these guys are made of. And hey, last year we never thought Illinois would have a good big man or play good defense, and that only took a year to turn around. So I'm hoping the shooting problem only takes a year to turn around as well with bringing in these new guys. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, there's there's something about Illini basketball that's just you know it's it's one of my favorite things to watch. Basically, because you watch a whole city like Champaign Urbana, the whole the the whole atmosphere, not all that, and maybe in the entire state. I don't care about Northwestern. I'll say that now. Just band together <laughs> around, around one program because you know that the amount of success that they've had, you've looked back to flying Illini, then you move forward the the 0405 team. And I don't think there's been a more pure point guard since since uh, Darren Williams. But, I mean, you look at Curbelo and Miller, there's a chance you've added the Io into that list. But the, I, it's just nice to get that, that feeling that, hey, you know, football, we get there with football. Maybe we win seven games, nine, maybe even eight games. And hey, that's going to get us to get us to a bowl game, and then we're right into Illini basketball. Yeah, football season is going to be interesting this year. I know we should probably stick to the positives and talk about Illini basketball, but uh, man, I I don't know, guys. I don't know who's going to play D line. I don't know if we're going to be able to stop anybody. Uh, we got some toys, some nice shiny toys, that's for sure, but. You know, toys only stay nice and shiny for so long until you actually use them. So um, we'll we'll see. I mean, hopefully Peters can just throw it to Bebe 30 times a game and yeah. maybe <laughs> maybe maybe Marquez Beeson and Shimon Cooper and some of these younger guys can can be the real deal. But I, I really you need a D line to stop the run and to get pressure on the quarterback. And right now I, I don't I don't see us touching the quarterback or the running back. I tell you what, Isaac, you know, while sports are on a hiatus, I, I know the three of us, you especially, me and Jay, we talk about them all the time. We, we'll break we'll break down another episode right now uh, or in the coming weeks of Illini football. We'll go through some Illini football stuff with you uh, so that way we can all get your voice back on here again and, and get uh, some Illini football takes that way get you back on the pod and then so that way we got somebody who's a little more knowledgeable outside of Jay and I, different voice. People don't got to keep listening to us rant and ramble. Hey, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's, I'm going to have a lot of time on my hands, so maybe I'll dive in depth to uh, some possible transfers or maybe there's some sneaky freshman or walk-on. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm going to have a lot of time to watch film and, you know, do everything Illini-related. I'm working on a, an I.O. video right now just because I've been so bored. But, yeah, I'd love to, love to join again. And, hey, it's technically Illini football season now, so we got a lot of months to prepare. That's right. Jay, you got anything else? No, Isaac, man. Thanks for joining us. It was uh, good to meet you, man. I always uh, appreciate insight from someone else and uh, look forward to talking again soon. 
Hey, yeah, Jay, great meeting you, and thanks again, guys, for having me on. It's been an honor. Once again, Isaac Ambrose. You can follow him on Twitter at I'm a Brose, I believe is how you pronounce it, capital I-M-A-B-R-O-S-E. He is one of the co-hosts on the 200 Level Podcast. You can find that on anywhere podcasts are found, so make sure you give those guys a listen. And uh, as always, uh, one of the second, only second guests we've had on here outside of Jay and I, we've had Mr. Tristan Kissick of the Champagne Room. Isaac, glad to have you in that category. And once again, you're listening to the Jay and Kale Show presented by 104.9 WPXN Paxson Rantoul. We'll talk to you later.